Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message. I want to pray a prayer of protection over you and your family and over those who aren't here. Uh, Seeking God this morning, um, I really felt strongly to pray this prayer over you. So just close your eyes and I want you to receive these words. We are the people of God. We are the people of God. Our faith has to count for something. And if it doesn't count in this season, when will it ever count? We are the people of God. We are covered by the blood of Jesus. We do walk with a different spirit. So I want to declare these words of Psalm 91 over you and your family's life. And I want you to receive this into your heart. Psalm 91 declares that those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust Him. For He will rescue you from every trap and protect you from every deadly disease. He will cover you with His feathers. He will shelter you with His wings. His faithful promises, watch this, are your armour and protection. Your armour and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor the arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in the darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, though 10,000 are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. It will not touch you, Thrive Church. It will not touch you, people of God. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home. No plague will come near your home. So Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I rebuke the spirit of fear. I rebuke the spirit of panic off of people's lives. I rebuke that spirit in Jesus' name. Now I want you to begin to lift your voices, church, and begin to pray against this virus. Come on, the people of God. God, here's our prayers. Come on, lift your voices. Pray against this thing in Jesus' name. Father, we rebuke this spirit. God, we stand against this virus, Lord. You are bigger than this, Lord. Father, your word declares that you hear us. You hear us, Lord. Lord, hear our prayer today. God, I pray that Australia would not be be ravished by this disease, God. That it would not infiltrate the central coast. God, that the authorities and the scientists and all those who are working would stand against this and find a way through this. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Keep praying, church. It's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle. It's not just medical. It's spiritual. Keep praying against it. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come against it in Jesus' name. Come against it in Jesus' name. We stand against it in Jesus' name. We stand against it in Jesus' name. 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 We, the people of God, we are alert, but we are not alarmed. We are alert, but not alarmed. We are alert, but not alarmed. And in this time, Father, where there is panic and confusion and fear, let the people of God rise up, stand strong. Lord, this is such a great opportunity for the people of God to actually be what we say we believe, to walk in divine peace, to walk in divine confidence, to know that you have it sorted, to know that our destiny and our future is not in the hands of a scientist, it's in the hands of Jesus Christ. So Lord, we thank you for the opportunities that are going to come in the next days and weeks and months ahead when people are hurting and confused and fearful. 
God strategically put us in, in their way, God, that we might have conversations and explain the hope that we have in Jesus and why we are confident. We're not silly, we're not naive, we're not being foolish, but we are alert, but we are not alarmed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. And do not give someone a high five before you sit down, but you can take your seats, thank you. (laughs) Pray that prayer of protection and then it's like, don't high five anybody. (laughs) Oh... Well, thank you for coming to church. A lot more of you than what I thought. I can still see a lot is away, which kind of I understand. Well done for coming out and gathering today. And uh, I did want to come up this morning and have a toilet roll and give it out as a prize (laughs) rather than a chocolate bar. But the truth was I couldn't afford to give away the one toilet roll that I had. (laughs) So there's no toilet roll prize this morning. And I think you can hock a toilet roll on eBay for like 200 bucks. If you've got nothing to do later on, go on eBay and see how many toilet packs are being sold on eBay, starting bid of $99. And I'm like, people are actually bidding on that. I'm like, anyway, crazy days we live in, yeah? Um, This Thursday night at our team night, uh, when we come together, because one of the things that the enemy wants to do in any time like this is is cause the the flock and, and and the congregation, God's people, to separate and not come together. It's actually really important that we keep coming together. And this Thursday night... uh, I want to talk a bit about the virus and kind of what I, what I feel like God is saying to our church through it, the church and our church, but also I want to take a baseball bat to the spirit of fear. And so Thursday night, we're going to be there. We're going to be leaning in God. We're going to be pushing into the Holy Spirit, worshiping. There'll be food. So if you're part of our church, come along, be with us as we gather and stand and pray. And uh, it's going to be a good night. I'm excited. I woke up this morning um, confident. I felt good. I don't know about you, but I woke up going, don't feel fearful or afraid at all. And it's not trying to be all hoity-toity and trying to sound superior. I just, God's bigger than this. Jesus Christ was the word in the beginning, and you'll still be in control after this. This too shall pass. Anyway, but let's be vigilant. Let's be safe. And uh, you'll just see some changes around in terms of hand sanitizer and things that we have to do to comply, which I think is good. Let's be, let's be wise. Let's be vigilant. But let's stay in faith, yeah? Awesome. All right. So I'm going to get straight into our message. And um, our theme this year, our vision for 2020 is towards greater health. And it kind of um, seems so fitting now that that is our vision. Who could have thought that that would be um, so uh, ironic this year that our vision... And by the way, good to see Jake. Nice to see you, Jake, with your head collar. Came through a pretty severe bike accident. Good to see you, my friend. Nice to see you here, alive. It's good. Beaten up, but here. It's awesome. But it seems so ironic. But next Sunday, and that's if we still have a gathering, there's talk of maybe cancelling gatherings, even over churches our size. But I'm believing they're not going to cancel our gatherings. But if we do have church next week, I have a great guest speaker coming from Macquarie Life Church, the business manager of our church, Melinda Newsom, And she's going to be coming and sharing on financial health next Sunday. And uh, no, it won't be a message on giving and generosity. It'll be a message just on how do we do finances healthily? How can we do that well? So this is actually a really good morning to come and be equipped or invite somebody that you know that might need to, and, and it would, some, hearing some financial principles, kingdom principles would help them. And so I'm um, really excited about that next week um, when she comes next Sunday. She'll be bringing her husband, her family. He's a singer-songwriter. He's going to be singing and just going to be a good morning in church in Jesus' name. All right, so uh, I think for me, when I'm thinking about our vision this year, particularly towards greater health, as I've considered more and more about what it is to be healthier, I think one of the most important reasons to be as healthy as we can on this earth is that 
the healthier you and I become, the more effective we will be. The healthier we are on this earth, the more effective we will be on the earth. In fact, I'll go as far as to say we owe this world and this planet to be the best version of ourselves. We really do, not to prove anything, but the best you, the healthiest you, the best version of you is what this world actually needs. Um, This world doesn't need any more unhealthy churches, any more unhealthy Christians. It actually needs healthy Christians, healthy churches, healthy people, pointing people to Jesus. And you've probably heard this analogy used before, but I travel a little bit overseas. And if you've traveled overseas, um, you probably recall that most safety videos at the start of the flight, when they, you know, introduce all the safety things that are going to happen, they talk about in the event of an emergency and you need to do this, this and this. And they talk about the oxygen mask that will come down. But they always say, um, in the event that you need to use oxygen, to place the oxygen mask on yourself before you place it on your children or those around you. In other words, you're no good. If you're not breathing, you can't help anybody else. And obviously, the, the principle is clear. We, we cannot help a lost and dying world if we are not healthy ourselves. We cannot be light and salt right now in a world while we're, we're coming under the spirit of fear. We can't be what the world needs right now. We are, we are to show Jesus and reveal Jesus to this world. And so um, we want to be life-giving to the world around us. And really what I want to talk to you about today, it seems so simple, but I really want to talk to you today about being a life-giving person, a life-giving Christian. What is it to be a life-giving person? Somebody that brings life, um, somebody that gives life. Because I believe that God wants you and I to be people who bring life wherever we go. That's why our church services and our gatherings and our, our, when we come together should be full of life and vitality and vibrancy because God is life himself. So I want to have a look at that thought today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45, it says this. It talks about the last Adam being a life-giving person, but it talks about Christ being a life-giving spirit. That Christ is a life-giving spirit. Now that phrase for life um, is a term that means to bring, bring to life. It's like a botanical term. It's like when a plant or a flower is birthing new light. It's like, what's that word? Germinating. When it's like coming out, the flower opening up and bringing life. And that's what Christ is like. He is the giver of life. He is a giver of life. He brings life. The enemy of our souls is the opposite. He destroys life. He robs life. He steals life. He drains life. He opposes life. Jesus brings life. He is the giver of life. He brings us alive spiritually. He brings to life our hopes and dreams. He resurrects what was dead. He brings life to our gatherings and our environments. Even for the believer, even death itself leads to life. Everything about Jesus is life. He brings life. Now, as I thought about that, you know this, if you've been walking with Jesus for any length of time, but if Christ, who is the life-giving spirit, lives on the inside of you, that means you are a life-giving person. That means you are to carry this thing we call life, divine life. We are to be people who actually bring life rather than drain life. (laughs) I want to do a sermon one day called How to Hug a Vampire. (laughs) I'm serious. How to love people who suck the life out of you. I'm serious. I'm going to get real real with you today. It's coronavirus season, so I can just be really real with you. But the sad reality, let's be really honest, there are people who slowly suck the life out of you. There really are. They, they constantly take rather than give. Um, they're people who are always negative and miserable. They complain about everything. It's the friend or the person that leaves you feeling down after you've spent time with them rather than feeling built up and feeling like you actually want to win at life. 
It's the person who only focuses on your flaws and your weaknesses. And it's the person who gossips rather than builds you up. they, They use words to bring death rather than life. Whole lot of vampires out there. I'm not going to get all twilight on you this morning. Um, But zombies, on the other hand, well, it's kind of like we're in an apocalyptic zombie season right now. If you go to the supermarket, people are being assaulted for buying toilet paper and rice is going off the shelves and flat. I'm serious, hand sanitizer. I mean, there are fights. It's like like a zombie apocalypse going on right now out there. Um, And so zombies, on the other hand, there are a lot of zombie people. Well, they're just destructive. (laughs) <laughs> they don't care about anything except attacking and eating and smashing whatever gets in their path. Am I encouraging you or inspiring you to go home and watch a zombie movie on Netflix when you get home? Yeah, you want to watch World War Z? Um, but zombies are fundamentally opposed to life. They're opposed to joy. They're opposed to happiness. Whenever a zombie sees anything alive or bright or good, they oppose it. They bring it down. They crush it. Um, they want to consume it. The goal of a zombie is to make everybody else just like them. That's what a zombie does. Um, In fact, zombies are those people who are always trying to drag us down to their level. They push us to cross boundaries, to watch things we wouldn't normally watch, to say things we wouldn't normally say, to do things we wouldn't normally do. And what a zombie wants is to make the world just like them, uncaring, unfeeling, down on life. They live a life of consuming rather than contributing. I know these are strong words, right? But let's be honest. We know people like this. And I'm not even saying it's always their fault. I think that's what's so good about Jesus is, is that when he comes into a person's life, he transforms you and you become life-giving. And as funny and as silly as that analogy is this morning, and I wanted to go even further on it, but I wanted to be behaved today. Um, Being a life-giving person is the opposite. It's the opposite of those characteristics It's the opposite. And so today as we look at God's Word, I want to look at um, somebody in the Bible, someone perhaps you've never even really thought about much, a little-known Bible character that actually was a life-giving person. I want to look at a passage of Scripture that's kind of this little tiny passage in 2 Timothy about somebody who brought life. So if you've got your Bibles, your tablets, your phones, or whatever it is that you read the Word of God on, come with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to read a little well-known passage of Scripture, or a little little little-known passage of Scripture. And have a look at a little guy in the Bible by the name of Anisiphorus. Verse 16 of chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. Come out in Jesus' name. All right. That's right in my tablet. Why am I trying to search there? All right. So this is what Paul writes. Now, bear in mind, this is the very last epistle Paul will write. He is literally in the last stages of his life. I'm going to come back and say more about that. This is what he writes. He says, May the Lord show mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, Because he often refreshed me. He refreshed me. And he was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me. Underline that in the Bibles. He searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. This little known dude called Anisiphorus that we don't know a lot about. We don't know much about this guy other than the fact that he was from Ephesus. He was a believer. Some scholars believe he might have been a traveling salesperson. We don't know a lot about him, but he was a friend to the Apostle Paul. That much we know. And it says at a time when the Emperor Nero was persecuting Christians right across Rome, at a time where it was dangerous to even be a Christian, it was dangerous to be associated with the Apostle Paul, the Bible says that Anisiphorus came and refreshed the Apostle Paul. 
He refreshed the Apostle Paul. In fact, watch this. That word refreshed literally means to put breath back in. It means to recover breath. That's the kind of person Anisophorus was. It was like, it was as if Anisophorus gave Paul emotional CPR. I love that. Breathing encouragement and life back into his Christian brother who was in a really tough spot. Emotional CPR. He was like spiritual oxygen to Paul's soul. I love how some versions describe Anisophorus as being like a breath of fresh air. A breath of fresh air. He was a breath of fresh air to me. Um, Do you have people in your world that are like a breath of fresh air? They're just those sorts of people. When they come, they're like a breath of fresh air to your soul. They bring life. They bring encouragement. They bring life rather than drain life. You actually like, I could spend more time with you. I don't want you to leave because you bring life. You know those people because the moment they walk into a room, the atmosphere changes for the better. In fact, I believe Christians should be people that go in and set the atmosphere, not come under it. That's a message for another day. We're supposed to come and set atmospheres, not come under atmospheres. And so breath of fresh air, people, they come into an atmosphere and they transform it. They don't come in miserable and cynical and down. They're actually the sort of person you look forward to seeing. You know that when you screen a call? Have you ever done that? Move on. I can't say that as a pastor. That would be a really ding bad thing. Screen the call. So, so busy in that moment. Um, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> the name Anisophorus actually means one who brings profit. That's the name of Anisophorus, one who brings profit. But isn't that the, who we are supposed to be as a church? Isn't that what and who we are to be? People who bring life and profit, who actually bring something of value to this world, that bring something of value to workplaces, to relationships and families and, and schools. People who are a breath of fresh air in this world. And later on, I want you to ask an honest question of yourself, or maybe you'd be brave enough to ask somebody close to you. This is a really brave question to ask. But every now and again, you should ask yourself this question. What is it like to be on the other side of me? That's a scary question. Just start with yourself first. (laughs) Then ask your spouse. Maybe not ask your spouse. (laughs) Depending on the day. But actually ask yourself that question. What actually is on, what is it like to be on the other side of me? Am I somebody that would be perceived as you are a breath of fresh air? You actually are a bringer of life. When I get around you, I feel built up and better having been around you. Ask yourself that question. You know, the other week I had a funny moment the other day, actually walking into Bay Village Shopping Centre. Uh, right now you'll have all sorts of funny moments going into Bay Village Shopping Centre and the car park. I actually managed to get toilet paper today. Just so you know, I went in to get a newspaper and bananas and I, uh, I found an eight-pack of toilet paper on it. I felt so embarrassed paying for that thing. It's now hidden under my seat in the car so anybody, in case anybody breaks in. But I had a funny moment. I'm walking into Bay Village the other day and um, I'm coming in at, at, at the uh, Audi N where Coffee Club is and no, I'm not going to Coffee Club. And most of you know that I'm pretty obsessed with coffee, right? I'm addicted to coffee and there's not a day goes by that I don't frequent some cafe on the Central Coast, either getting a takeaway or meeting someone there. But one of the things I try to do when I'm out there, particularly in the community, talking to people that don't come to church, I just want to be different to the other customers that they seek. For example, if I get a coffee and it's good, I'll go back and tell them the coffee was good because they generally only get people that tell them if it was bad. People generally complain more than they compliment. 
I just try to be different. I, I'm not trying to build myself up or make, you know, I'm sure you're doing the same thing. But I just try to make a small difference wherever I am and just like bring life to that person, encourage that person, take an interest in that person. Anyway, so I began to um, connect with this one barista, this girl, who was a real quirky kind of girl with a big personality. You know her, Laura. Anyway, she's not working at my cafe anymore. And uh, she's now working at Bay Village Shopping Center. So I'm walking into Bay Village Shopping Center and I see her coming towards me from here to the here to the window away and she's quite now for an now bear in mind I'm an introvert and this person is extroverted and I see her walking towards me 10 meters away with her hands in the air going Brad I miss you and when I get over the fact that there was like wonder what connotation that communicates to anybody else around me that she misses me she's like I miss you and she kept walking and as stupid as it was it actually touched my heart it, it really touched my heart because I realized in that moment, whatever interaction we'd had, whatever had been in our short relationship, I'd made some kind of difference. I'd been something of value to her life. And it touched my heart. And I thought, that's the kind of people I want to be. God, give me a church full of Anisophorus Christians. People who bring life, who bring encouragement, who, bring, who don't wait to come and wait to get something. They bring something. You want an awesome church? Be an awesome church. It's not dependent on the awesome preaching, the awesome music. Come and be an awesome church, and we will be an awesome church. So, is this helping you, church? So, for the remainder of our time today, and I've got 15 minutes to get through this, and I promise I'll move quickly, I want to give you seven characteristics of a life-giving person, the kind of person I believe is a life-giving Christian. And if you're wondering where I got these characteristics from, um, there was a number of years ago, I read a book called, some of you may have read this book called Natural Church Development by Christian Schwartz. And so this guy wrote this book, and it was really a study. And he conducted a study, um, and basically across 70,000 churches across six continents. And he, he spent years doing this study. And what the author found was it was probably the most extensive church study ever done. So 70,000 churches across six continents. And as he interviewed them and surveyed them and researched them, they actually came up with seven or eight characteristics that were common in every church that was a life-giving church. They found there were things in common, that the churches that were growing, reaching people that were vibrant and fresh and healthy. There were a number of characteristics that were the same across all churches, no matter the language, the culture, the style or whatever. Those were characteristics. And so what I, as I thought about that, and I know other authors have thought about this, is that, well, actually, let me just say this. They found that church growth was actually related to church health. So these are healthy characteristics. And what I'm going to share is what I believe are actually seven characteristics of a healthy Christian, by the way. But it occurred to me, and I'm sure it's occurred to other authors, that if these characteristics were found in healthy, life-giving churches, then they were characteristics that could be found in individuals. That they would be characteristics that individuals could carry. So what I've done is, is here are my summary of those seven characteristics in my words about what I believed a life-giving Christian actually looks like. So you're ready to take notes? So number one, and these seem so simple, but I'll, I won't say a lot about each one, but I'll just say a few things. And this is not to beat anybody up. If you don't have all of these things, it's just something you can think about and consider later on and just evaluate for your own life. But here's the first characteristic that I think a life-giving Christian has. They actually enjoy God. Novel idea, huh? <laughs> they actually enjoy Jesus. Their Christian life is actually delight, not duty. They actually have a relationship with Jesus that they actually enjoy. I love, that's why I love Luke's offering words so much. I miss you. They actually have a relationship with Jesus where they actually enjoy being with him. 
Believe it or not, there are many people on this earth that have never realized that God is someone to actually be enjoyed. Yes, he is to be worshipped, honored. He is to be served. He is to be respected. All of those things, he is to be worshipped. He is to be shared with others. But God actually wants you to enjoy him. He really does. And I want to say this to you in love. If you think Jesus is boring, you don't really know him. He's the most interesting, vibrant person in the universe. If you find Jesus boring, it's because you have a religious view of Jesus, not a real view of Jesus. And I believe, honestly, that people who enjoy God don't have the attitude they have to pray. I have to read my Bible. I have to come to church. I have to serve. No, no, they have the attitude we get to. I get to. I get to. I get to. I get to read my word. I get to, to pray. I get to come and be with you. I get to do this. I enjoy Jesus. And I think that's so important. And I want to say to you, life-giving believers, don't let their spiritual lives become stale. They, they keep them fresh. They keep it fresh and alive and vibrant. They keep their walk with Jesus fresh. And I think that's so important in a world right now that's looking for real hope and real truth. They're looking for what is real, what is authentic, and what is true. The world doesn't need another, more, any more religious people. They need more life-giving Christians who actually are proud of the Jesus they represent, and they're not ashamed to share him. Can I just say this? I just feel to say this. If Jesus has become stale, start telling other people about Jesus. Your Christian life will come to life way quicker then than what you realize. Number two. They have embraced their own uniqueness. Life-giving people have embraced their uniqueness. Um, I believe life-giving people are not trying to be somebody they're not. Seems so easy, so simple. Do you know it's exhausting trying to be someone you're not? So many people in the world are wasting so much energy projecting an image of who they want to be rather than who they actually are. That's what social media is all about. If I can just project this image of who I want you to think I am and who I actually want to be rather than who I am, because rejection is our greatest fear, that we'll be rejected. Here's what I want to say to you. God's gift to the world is the real you. The real you, not the pretend version of you. The real you. It's actually your difference, your uniqueness that brings life and color. It really is. It's not your sameness it's your uniqueness and your color and your difference that brings life to others. I wrote down people are both weird and wonderful, often at the same time. You're all weirdos. You really are. I'm a weirdo, but you're wonderful at the same time. We're weird and wonderful. And I would propose to you it's in the weirdness. It's in the little idiosyncrasies. It's in the, it's in the silly sense of humor, all the differences that you're ashamed of that actually make uniquely you and life-giving. I want to be around people who are different to me. So let me, I'm going to give you a, a promise. If you'll make a promise to me, I'll be real with you every week. I'll be me. This is who I am. That's why, you know, stupid, joke-telling, coffee-obsessed, pushing the boundaries. I'm just being me. Will you be you? And I'll be me. Let's take off the mask and really be who we are. Let's be me. And here's the thing. If the real you isn't good enough for somebody, then go and take your weird and wonderful self to somebody else that appreciates you. There's always somebody else that will. This helping you? <laughs> Told you I'm going there today. Number three, they drink real coffee rather than instant coffee. <laughs> they have an appreciation for artisan roast. They don't drink decaf. You taking these notes? <laughs> no, number three, they live life inspired. 
and keep a right perspective in life. You know, I say this point sensitively, right? Because I know life can be hard. I know life can beat us up and things can happen in life. So I'm not going to be too silly with this point. But what I know about life-giving people is this. They don't let life make them cynical or bitter. They don't. They're not cynical. They're not miserable. They're not bitter. They're not those kinds of people. Listen, I want to say to you, life is way too short to stay offended. Way too short to stay offended, to stay bitter, to stay resentful, to stay disappointed in God. I believe life-giving people who understand that God is always good even when life is not. God is always good even when life isn't. And the key is how you choose to actually see it. I've come to realize in my life now, life still beats me up. I, I still get disappointed. I still have moments. But I've come to understand I have now have a healthy separation of God and life. Life is not God and God is not life. Life will be difficult. Life will be hard. People will let you down. But God is good in every season. Now, I want to read this verse to you in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, that I just have been thinking a lot about. I want you to see the Apostle Paul's perspective, and it won't be up there. I apologize for the scream, so I'll just read the words. But listen to what Paul writes in a very difficult season of his life in verse 8. He watched this, and I want you to notice the language. He writes, we are pressed on every side by troubles. We've got some stuff going on, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed but not driven to despair. You're going to see a pattern of we are, but not. We are, but not. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. You notice the perspective that Paul keeps finding in every season, in every situation. He keeps seeing the God perspective. He keeps seeing the higher perspective. Watch this. This is an important verse. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus. Watch this. So the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yeah, we live in constant danger of death because we serve Jesus. That's the reality for a lot of Christians on the earth today. But watch this. So the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. In other words, think about what he's saying. I can keep seeing a perspective of God's purpose in everything I'm going through. I can understand that in every moment, In every situation, in every difficulty, I keep seeing God's higher perspective in it. And I've come to realize that everything I'm going through is a blessing for you. What if we stop saying to God, why has this happened? And started asking God, who are you preparing me to bless? What if we stopped asking God why and and, and got out of the, the flesh human perspective and got a little bit higher and started to realize that everything you're going through right now that's difficult is ultimately designed to bring life to somebody else? Just a thought for you to mull over today. Number four, and I love this one so much. Life giving people laugh a lot. They laugh a lot. You wouldn't have thought that. That's what they found in that National Church Health Survey. They found that the most healthiest churches were churches that actually embraced fun, that actually had life and enjoyment. Um, laughing is good for you. You know, laughing is good for your immune system. I was reading some studies. Laughing actually helps produce T cells in your body, and T cells fight off infections. Some of the healthiest things you can do is go put on a, a comedian on, or get around people where you can just have a good belly laugh with. You know those people that you can just have a good laugh, and that's why, while ever I lead Thrive Church, we will always have fun here. We will always be a church of fun. We will always be a church of life. We will never get too serious. Ecclesiastes says there is a time to laugh and a time to cry. There is a time to laugh. And I would propose, the Bible says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, right? So laughter is a sign of freedom. 
Laughter is a sign that the Holy Spirit is an atmosphere of freedom. Could I propose to you that one of the signs of a Holy Spirit-filled church is laughter? Not just tears and not just repentance, although that is important. Actually, you laugh. And I've come to realize, and I'm trying to change the ratio, but in all of our meetings and key meetings, I've worked out it's like 50% seriousness and 50% banter. It's like we have, don't we, Bruce? We go serious, then we banter. And I'm trying to bring the ratio down to kind of 80-20 or 70-30. But at the moment, because I want to have a church where there's joy and fun, where we laugh at each other and we laugh at ourselves and we don't take life so serious that we keep our joy in life. Do you know that God laughs? I've heard the Holy Spirit chuckle at me. He has a sense of humor. Well, he made you. He laughs. He chuckles. You're made in his image. Lighten up. God actually, one time I was walking in the, the bush the other weekend up on Cracknick, and the Holy Spirit says to me, Brad, have you forgotten about the log? And I don't have time to tell you the story, but I remember that was, a, it was an experience I had about two years ago where God played with me in the bush. I, he bantered with me, and it was like, Brad, you've forgotten that I am a joyful God. In my presence is fullness of joy. Just to try to change your thinking for some of you. Is this helping you? All right, a few more, then we're done. I'll go through these quick. Number five. They cultivate relationships. Um, life-giving people are very good at being intentional about relationships. Um, they have a healthy view of relationships. That's the key. They're not in, only intentional about developing relationships. They actually have a healthy view of relationships. I've come to realize a healthy view of a relationship is somebody that doesn't have an unhealthy expectation on somebody that they can't meet. Most of us, and including myself, have way too high expectations of other people. We really do. Think about it. When you get disappointed with somebody else or you get offended with somebody else, it's more than likely because they didn't meet an expectation that you either communicated or that you had subconsciously about that other person. And um, I believe life-giving people go through life and they just they accept people where they're at. They don't try to get from people what they can only get from God. If you're looking for 100% validation, understanding in every person, you're going to be disappointed. Only the Holy Spirit can bring you that. Only he can actually give you that because only he fully understands you. I believe life-giving people are loyal. They're loyal. They stand by you when others don't. Notice what it says in the Bible at a time where so many other Christians had abandoned the Apostle Paul. Paul was left on his own. In other words, they were looking at his chains and going, not going to be associated with that dude because it's going to be a risk to my life. And it says, that, it says of Anissa Forrest that he was not ashamed of Paul's chains. That's the kind of friends that you need to cultivate in your life that stand by you season after season, no matter what's going on for your life. That's a life-giving person. Loyal people, loyal people. Number six, they put others before themselves. Seems so easy, seems so basic. But life-giving people put others before themselves. In fact, selfish people are not life-giving because they want everything in life to be about them and their goals. Have you ever talked to that person and I'm like thinking, have I done this? I hope I don't do this. When you're talking to them, they have a way of turning every conversation back around to their life and what they're doing. That's a selfish person. They never ask questions about you. They just talk about themselves. That's not a life-giving person. A life-giving person is intentional to say, tell me about you. What's going on for you? They ask questions about you. They're actually focused on you. Selfish people are not life-giving people. And the truth about Christianity, here's the truth, particularly if you're hearing it for the first time, is that when you die, you live. When you die to self, your real life arises. When you die to the selfish parts of you, the, the parts of you that just want to make life about you, 
you actually live and Christ's life within you lives. And that life is for Jesus and for other people. And so I want to live a life that's focused on God and helping others. In fact, I want to honor every person today who's life-giving in our church. People who come week after week, midweek, Sundays, and give of their time and give of their energies and give of their talents and just give and give and give and put others first. I commend you in Jesus' name for being those kind of people who put people before themselves. The passage says, as the band comes and join me, um, the passage says um, in verse, where it was, I've lost my point. But the last verse of that passage says that Anisophorus helped Paul. He helped Paul in, in Ephesus. That word helped is diakono, which means to serve and wait upon. So he had a ministry to the Apostle Paul. And honestly believe that a life-giving follower of Jesus is to be a servant of humanity. So say, how can we serve humanity? How can I just serve this world? And I honestly think that's why being part of a faith community, why being part of a team in a church is so important, because it's in this setting that we learn how to serve one another. We learn how to minister one another. And if we can't do it in here, we won't do it out there. And so it's so important that we do it. We don't serve people from any other agenda other than out of love. That's our agenda. We love them. We serve them. We put others first. And the last one is this, and then we're going to pray. And this is important. Life-giving people keep focus. They stay focused. In, in other words, they actually stay focused on what actually matters in life. They actually have a perspective that um, there are some things in life that aren't worth being caught up in. Uh, they don't become drained by all the wrong priorities of life, running around here, there, and everywhere, and having no time and energy for what actually matters. We are the busiest generation that has ever lived, doing things, going here, going there, going everywhere, and it is draining us of energy for what truly matters in life, which is the kingdom of God. I say that unashamedly, the kingdom of God. They keep Jesus the main thing and they have time for what matters to Christ. They've got time for what matters to Him. I love how the passage says this. It says that Anisophorus searched hard for Paul. He searched hard. Some versions say he searched and searched. I wonder how long he searched for him. It doesn't say, did he search a week? Did he search a month? Did he search a, a couple of days? But all I know is he was determined he was focused. He knew what mattered. He was singular focus in his mission. I've got to get to Paul and I've got to be a breath of fresh air and I've got to serve and carry out this assignment. And like, I'm going to block out all other distractions. I'm going to block out what, what they said and what they think. And I'm going to stay focused on whatever God wants me to do in this season. And I don't know if you know this, but when Paul wrote this, he refreshed, and when he's writing about Anisophorus, he writes pretty much that Anisophorus refreshed him at one of the most difficult times of his life. Like I said before, at a time where everybody else was abandoning Paul, somebody was moving towards Paul. And it's like Anisophorus brought the spiritual oxygen that Paul needed to keep doing what God had called him to do. In other words, Anisophorus wasn't just blessing Paul, he was building the kingdom of God. He was advancing the kingdom of God. He literally blessed Paul in the last stages of his life. And, and some commentators believe that Anisophorus has already died when Paul writes this letter. In fact, that's why he says, um, I pray blessing on the household of Anisophorus. It, it may be that Anisophorus had already gone. And those kinds of people always end up blessed. 
Can I tell you? Because the proverb says that he who refreshes others is himself refreshed. You never miss out when you're that kind of person. You never miss out by putting the kingdom of God first. And at a time at the end of Paul's life, when he is literally years, maybe even months away from going to see Jesus face to face, somebody made a difference in his life. We will never know the impact, Thrive Church. Listen to me carefully. You will never know the impact on this side of eternity that you might have had to somebody else. When you get to heaven, I believe God's going to show you like a a video or a book and open the book and go, yep, you blessed that person for eternity and you blessed that person. When you chose to be selfless rather than selfish, you blessed, you blessed, you blessed. And when we get to heaven, we will see all of the Pauls that we impacted. In Jesus' name. Would you stand this morning? Has this helped you? Are you glad you came to church? I want to wait on the Holy Spirit for a second. Just close your eyes for a second. I know I've talked a lot. But it was really on my heart, that passage this week, particularly in the world we live in right now. I honestly believe the Holy Spirit gave me that sermon today for this time. That in a world where there's panic and fear and confusion, hoarding, stockpiling, me, 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 that we would be a different spirit that you would go and be a different spirit this week, that you would go and be breath of fresh air to somebody, that you would go and bring spiritual oxygen to somebody's life, that you would go and give somebody emotional CPR this week, that you would make that phone call you need to make, that you would send that text you need to text, that you would go and see that person. Maybe some of you are going to have to, it'll mean a change of agenda this week or a change of schedule, but don't, don't, don't hold back. Say it. Say it this week. Do it. Linger a moment longer at the checkout. (laughs) Linger a moment longer. Be fresh air. So I'm going to commission you in Jesus' name. So Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you, God, for this message. I thank you for Anisophorus. And God, I pray the spirit of Anisophorus would fill this church, that we would be people like Anisophorus in this community, in this world. Wherever we go, we'd be people who give life and not train life, that we wouldn't be miserable, cynical, negative. It would be positive, life-giving, full of energy, full of vitality, thriving, not surviving, people on this earth. In Jesus' name we pray. And just while all eyes are closed, while all eyes are closed, maybe this is your day to receive life, to receive eternal life, to receive the life-giving gift of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that when you surrender your heart to Jesus, when you ask forgiveness for your sin, that the old goes and the new comes. That it gives you a new life, a new life, a new life, a spiritual life, a brand new life, a new life. Your past is taken care of. A new life empowered by God, God's own life. That's a free gift for anybody here today that wants to start a relationship with Jesus. I'm not asking you to embrace a religion or a church. I'm asking you to embrace a relationship with Jesus where you can enjoy one another, where you can have peace, where you can have life, where you can be full of vitality in Jesus' name. If that's you, if you want to receive Jesus this morning, I want you to raise your hand nice and high while I see. I can see that hand at the back. It's fantastic. Somebody's receiving Jesus. Anybody else in this room want to receive the gift of Jesus Christ? I believe there's at least one more person today that needs to today get your life right with Jesus.